Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, and I am your host, as always, Derek Wills. I want... I want to have a talk. I was prepping for my show and thinking about how I was going to approach this whole thing. And I thought of a few options. I could rail against Trump like we've done on uh, the Facebook page for his calls for gun control. You know, we issued a statement of condemnation against him and Greg Abbott and found out recently that Florida Governor Rick Scott has called to have the rate, the age at which you are allowed to purchase a firearm raised to 21. And I could hoot and holler and scream into this mic and hopefully try and, and motivate the people that are already, already like-minded to us. In the end, that doesn't do anything because they're already like-minded. So everybody listening to this, I'm going to ask you a favor. Please share this episode with anyone and everybody. People that are like-minded, but especially for those who aren't. And who aren't in a, in, it, does, it could be on the fence. It could be, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but, you know, I love our Second Amendment. Uh, I know there are many of you out there who have disagreed with some of the things that I've said, and that's that's fine. I'm going to talk about current gun control laws and how they're pointless. And I'm asking you to share this because this is obviously the tone of this show, this episode is completely different from everything else that I've done. I want you, if you are somebody who has never listened to the program before, and you are somebody who supports a little bit of gun control, a lot of gun control, full abolition of the Second Amendment, then just, I ask you to listen to this with an open mind. And at the end, if you still disagree, that's fine. But at least you can say, I heard your side. I think probably the biggest problem whenever we start talking about things like this is we don't convey our message properly. You know, the people on the gun control side, you have people like CNN who script town halls to really bash Republicans, which I've bashed my fair share of Republicans, but for different reasons. And then you have us on our side who we say a lot of things designed to appeal to our base. And, and we at Lone Star Gun Rights, we try and not be appealing to the norm, so to speak. You know, we issued a statement of condemnation against President Trump because of his calls for gun control instead of blindly following him because he's a Republican. And that's the way advocacy should be. You shouldn't care about the person's political party. You should care about what they're doing and what they're asking for. And if that goes against your ideals, your philosophies, your principles, then you need to be able to stand up and call it out. Now, a lot of people were surprised by that. 
and some who were surprised were, you know, most who were surprised, at least from the feedback that I saw, uh, they supported what we were doing. They supported what we were saying. And that's great. But that was targeted to our base who already agrees with us on most of the things. So this, again, just kind of recapping here. I want you to share this episode with somebody who isn't exactly like-minded. And if that's you, if somebody shared this episode with you, I want you to listen with an open mind and listen to it all the way through. Before I actually start with what I want to say, at any point, if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at Derek, it's D-E-R-E-K, at LoneStarGR.com. I'm also fairly active on Twitter at Derek R. Wills. W-I-L-L-S. And you can always reach out to me, and I try and be as responsive as humanly possible. And you can also go to our Lone Star Gun Rights Facebook page and shoot us a direct message. I also try and be as, as, as responsive as possible. So if you want to have a conversation with me, I know this is one-sided being that I'm talking into a microphone and there's nobody able to talk back to me. But if you want to have a conversation with me, by all means, I welcome it. And not because I want to prove that I'm right. I have always had a belief that it is important, it is incredibly important, for you to be able to defend your position all the way until the end of the discussion. And by that, I mean you have dissected every aspect of what you are proposing. And you have gotten down past and you've identified what possible unintended consequences there could be. You've acknowledged them. You've gotten all the way down until there is literally nothing left else to discuss on the matter. And if you can do that and you still believe everything that you believe without any sort of logical or mental equivocation or... Um, a reservation or maybe something talking in the back like that doesn't ex that's not exactly logical with everything else I believe if you can do that then you firmly believe in what you believe and we should want to have conversations that deep that delve down into the very depths of everything that we are talking about and this is going to sound really bad and really arrogant, and I don't mean it to be. But there is a huge problem in this country where people get their opinions fed to them. They buy off on what some talking head on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC tells them to believe. They buy off on what somebody at the NRA tells them to believe, or even the Brady campaign tells them to believe. And people in this country do not think for themselves. And it is a huge, huge problem. You're going to find out whenever I actually begin my discussion here that when I say it's a huge problem, I don't use that term lightly. Because I'm going to flat out, I'm going to, I'm going to say this, and I don't want you to be shocked. Well, you're going to be shocked right now, but I don't want you to be shocked as I build up to it. I'm going to tell you that crime in this country, violent crime, 
is a negligible problem. That's what I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to dissect that as deeply as I can. Now, again, please listen to this with an open mind. The conversation now is, again, we need to ban AR-15s. We need to have universal background checks. We need to stop private transfers. You have the governor of, of Florida saying we need to raise the purchase price to 21. We need to do this and all. Uh, we need to have more gun control. The first gun control bill at the federal level was the National Firearms Act of 1934. It made mandatory registration and added a $200 tax stamp, which at the time was about the equivalent of $3,500. Actually, it could be $5,000. I have to look at my Google inflation calculator type 1934 put in $200. That's what that was. It, it was an atrocious amount. It put a $200 tax stamp on specific weapons. These were weapons that had select fire or fully automatic capabilities, short-barreled rifles and shotguns, what's called a destructive device, uh, or there's a catch-all, which is called in any other weapon. Oh, also, you had silencers added to that. Suppressors is what we in the gun world call them. These were all regulated heavily in 1934. Then you passed the Federal Firearms Act of 1938, which established uh, federal firearms licenses. Then you had the Gun Control Act of 1968, this established what we now call prohibited persons. It also um, actually in, it was a lot stricter than it is now. We've actually reformed a couple of aspects of that bill because it required a, um, it required a transfer form for ammunition sales. And the consequence of that law is a lot of honest people were getting sent to federal prison for trying to abide by it, but failing in some way, and they were sent to jail. So they wanted to reform that, and they passed the Firearm Owners Protection Act of 1986. Now, that was not without additional gun control, because in that bill, we banned fully automatic weapons. You can still buy one, but it has to be manufactured prior to May 19th, 1986. If you don't know, if you find one of these weapons in a gun shop, the price tag is going to be about $25,000. Plus, the registration with the ATF or, and the $200 tax stamp with, uh, to the Department of the Treasury. And that takes about anywhere from 6 to 12 months to get back. And you've already paid for it at this point. You just can't take it home. Then we had the Undetectable Firearms Act of 1988, the Gun-Free School Zones Act of 1990, the Brady Handgun Violence Protection Act of 1993, and then the Assault Weapons Ban of 1994, which has since expired. And I'm going to talk about the Brady Bill, because this is the bill that established background checks. There are many people who are consider themselves very pro-Second Amendment, who believe in background checks. I don't. It's gun control. It 
is an infringement on our Second Amendment rights. And before you turn this off and say, I can't, just please hear me out. It's gun control. And you might support gun control. But here's the thing. We don't have a criminal problem in this country, despite what you see in the news. You know, what happened in Florida was absolutely tragic. I'm not saying that it is okay to watch 17 children be executed when they're trying to do nothing but go to school. It's not okay. But a law is not going to stop that. Now, the talking point is, it's already illegal to kill somebody, and it is, and that is a very valid point. And, you know, if we were going to do that, if laws were going to work, then the law making murdering an innocent person illegal would be effective. And I, I agree with that. But that's not what you want to hear, because you've heard that before. So I want to ask you to please try. Try and look at this without any emotion attached to it. And I know that's hard to do. The reason I'm asking you to do this is because emotion clouds our judgment. And before you tell me, hey, um, what if your loved one was one of those that were killed? That's adding emotion to it. I've been on that side of things. I had a sister who committed suicide with a firearm in the late 90s. I acknowledge that it was not the gun that did it. I went through years of depression, and I went through, uh, I went through hell dealing with that. I have been on the receiving end of losing a loved one at the barrel of a gun for no reason. There was no reason for it. But uh, there's not a law. You, I can pull the emotion out of it after dealing with that. And I'm asking you to, too. Because we need to be able to objectively look at what's going on, look at the issue without any emotion and identify what the actual problem is if there is one. And I know I said earlier there's not one, and I'm, I'm getting to that. But that's the first step. We need to be able to look at everything and actually see what the problem is. It's easy. It is super easy to look at what happened in Florida and say, the problem is that a 19-year-old was able to go to a gun store and buy a gun. That's not the problem. It's easy to say that because it's the first thing that you think of, but you don't, and I, I'm not attacking you, I'm, I'm saying generally, you don't think any further past that. You come to the first conclusion that's there that sounds halfway logical and you go with it. The problem is it's not logical. So let's, let's play out gun control on this. So let's say that he couldn't that we that the assault weapons ban of 94 didn't expire and AR15s are still illegal. Okay. He could have bought a shotgun. He could have obtained a handgun. Then what? Are you going to go after those two? Are you going to say 
those are weapons of war? Because you can kill just as many people with a handgun or a shotgun. And you can have the same effect. If your issue with that is that it might take longer to reload a shotgun, well, it doesn't take that much longer. And I'm telling you, the, the death that you can inflict upon somebody with a shotgun is, is pretty bad. Now, let's say we raised the age to 21, and he wasn't able to just go to the gun store and buy it. Keep in mind, this person sat there and made the decision, the conscious decision, that I'm going to kill a bunch of innocent people at my school. This wasn't like a heat-of-the-moment type thing. A lot of people think that, or they at least seem to think, that if he couldn't have bought a gun, then he wouldn't have carried this out. This was a planned event. He was dead set on taking innocent people's lives. And he was going to do it, no matter what. So let's pretend that he actually couldn't obtain a firearm. Let's say he couldn't black market a firearm. He couldn't go and, and buy one legally. You know how easy it is to make mustard gas? You know how easy it is to find the anarchist cookbook online? Could you imagine if instead of an AR-15, he walked into that school with a bag full of glass bottles filled with homemade napalm? And then he made Molotov cocktails with homemade napalm and just went from classroom to classroom, lighting them and throwing them in and shutting the door. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine, instead of that, he brings to school in his backpack a full bottle of ammonia and bleach and a respirator. And he goes, he finds a maintenance closet and, uh, or he climbs the roof even, makes this mustard gas with two easily obtainable products and dumps it into the school's ventilation system. Imagine how many more people would have died. Imagine the people that who, who survived who are now dealing with lifelong physical effects of that. So yeah, we can easily say it was the gun. But let me tell you something. The problem is evil finds a way. Evil will always, always, always find a way to carry out its will unless there is something good to stop it. And a law is an inanimate thing. It isn't. There are bad laws. There are good laws that we identify based off of our philosophies, but they aren't inherently good or bad. They are good or bad because one person says it's good or bad, and that's his opinion. The law won't stop evil. Evil is an act. It is a thing. It is real in this world, and in order for us to actually stop it, we have to recognize that legislation will not stop it. Laws don't stop it. It takes 
good people. It takes a good force that is capable of stopping it to stop it. That's why most people, whenever there's a bad thing happening, they call the police. Because the police, far more often than not, are good. They are the good force that are capable of stopping a bad guy. But there's another problem with that. There are only 650,000 sworn police officers in this country, nationwide. And they have to protect 325 million Americans. If you do the simple math, that's one cop for every 500 people. Now, many of you will say, well, we need to increase our, increase our police force. To what? How much would we, should we comp- uh, increase our police force? Should we increase our police force to uh, one out of 250, double it, basically, one cop for every 250 people? So now we have uh, uh, 1.3 million. Well, guess what? Response times aren't going to get that much better. Right now, the average police response time is 7 to 12 minutes. Oh, and in case you didn't know, the Supreme Court has ruled that law enforcement has no actual obligation to protect you. Now, I know that sounds like a bash on police. It's not, because most would. Just know that there's no legal repercussions if they don't. Like these cops in in Florida. There were some that just sat outside. They were too scared to go in. I think it might have been one, maybe two. I don't know. But I know there was at least one. There's nothing that can be legally done to him because the Supreme Court has ruled that he has no actual obligation to do that. So now in our scenario, and I know that this is all speculation, but uh, it's, it's rooted in fact. It's rooted in history. So instead of 17 people that he's killed, he's now killed half the building with uh, mustard gas or napalm or whatever. And so now the unintended consequences are that now more people are dead. Now, some people call for things like universal background checks and mental health checks and things like that. And that those, for the most part, are uh, even agreed upon by some in the pro-gun community. But they won't do anything. So if you have... We already have background checks. Those were established in 93, fully implemented in 1998. It took five years to do. And that relies solely on documented cases. If you don't have so much as a parking ticket, I don't care how stringent a background check can be, it will not find it. It will not find your motives because it's a background check. It's not a crystal ball into the future. There are people who have, and this is pretty common, who don't have anything that would be flagged on a background check. And they have bought a firearm with the sole purpose of killing people. I don't know how much stricter you want that to be. 
Now, I don't support it at all, and I'm going to tell you why. And I'm talking more so to uh, people who are pretty pro-gun who support background checks. I firmly believe that our right to bear arms is a right that is endowed upon us by our creator. If you're an atheist, here's a secular version of that. Our right to bear arms is inherent to us as human beings. It's a right. It's not a privilege. The very second that the government supersedes that authority and dictates who can and cannot exercise that right, you turn that right into a privilege. It is contingent upon whether or not you've done anything bad for the most part. And they can take that out to however they want, however far they want. Domestic violence, had a drug arrest at some point, uh, you were arrested for public intoxication. Now, these aren't actual on the books at the moment, but they could easily be. All it takes is a law, but they'd be passed, and that's now criteria. And there are many people out there who think, well, we shouldn't be allowing violent felons to be legally allowed to possess a firearm. The problem is it's a right, not a privilege. And there are felons out there. There are people out there who have made mistakes in their past, some of them violent, and have paid their debts to society and are now back living amongst us. And they could merely want to protect themselves and family. Just like the guy without a parking ticket could want to go shoot up a school. And the issue is that, no, some people tell me this. Some people pro-gun tell me this. They gave up their right when they made that choice. You don't give up your rights. You make mistakes, but you never give up your rights. You can make a mistake and have them temporarily suspended until you serve your time. And here's the thing. I will acknowledge that the way our criminal justice system is set up is a little bit janky. It is. Because we release people that we don't trust back into society because of technicalities or his sentence is up, even though we know that he's going to reoffend. The thing is, somebody like that who is going to reoffend is going to reoffend regardless. Chances are he committed the crime initially with, in, with either a stolen or a, an illegally purchased firearm on the black market. And then if he's going to reoffend, he'll use these same avenues to get it again. And it's not that difficult. And uh, people will say, well, then, you know, we, we need, that's why we need background checks. No, because he's going to reoffend regardless. And my issue with the criminal justice system is if we know this person is going to likely reoffend, why are we, we releasing him? I don't know of specific reforms. I haven't studied it as deeply as I have gun law. 
But I know that there can be some sort of reform done where we can say, you know what, this guy might be eligible for parole or his sentence is being, uh, is ending, but we actually believe that he is still a threat to society and you don't release him. I don't know what that is. And yeah, I'm weary of government having some, you know, power as I just described. Uh, but I think that there is a way for it to be done that would actually uh, limit the power of the government. But I'm going off on a tangent. Those that aren't going to reoffend aren't going to reoffend unless we create prohibitive laws uh, that put them in a bad spot just because of their status as a felon. You know, if a felon wants to protect himself and he only feels that he's able to with a firearm, you've now made it to where you have set him up for a felony weapons charge right off the bat. All he needs is a little hiccup and get caught. And you've thrown him back in jail when his entire motive was to just defend himself. And if we believe that the right to bear arms comes from God or is inherent to us as human beings, then we need to recognize that the government doesn't have the authority, and we, the people, also do not have the authority to take that right away from anybody permanently. It's a right. It's not a privilege. And there are some laws that actually say, yeah, depending on the felony after 10 years, I think in Texas it's 10 years before you can legally possess again. It shouldn't be that. It should be as soon as your sentence is done. You are being entrusted back into society, or they are being entrusted back into society. Why can they not have their rights? They're their rights, not ours. Not ours to take not ours to trifle with. These are precious rights. And who knows? Maybe a felon will be in the right place at the right time with a firearm and be able to stop the next mass shooting. Something to think about. Now, I said earlier that I'm going to point out that gun violence isn't an issue in this country. And I'm going to now explain to you why. So we've kind of dissected the whole topic of what if, kind of playing out scenarios for the various gun control laws that people want. All the way up to and including there is no gun. And I'm telling you right now that all of this discussion, all of it, is based because one person killed 17. And yes, it's tragic, but we need to pull the emotion out of it. Let's take a look at this from a purely numbers standpoint. And again, don't get emotional about this because we need to understand that we don't strip away people's rights because... Of, an, of something that's tragic. It doesn't happen often. 
In 2016, the census showed that there were just shy of 325 million people. There were 735,000 aggravated assaults, and that sounds like a huge number. It's almost it's almost three quarters of a million people. It's a lot. Do the numbers. That's 0.226% of Americans. 0.226. Of those aggravated assaults, 232,000 were committed with a firearm. That's 0.071. That's aggravated assaults. Robbery, 305,000. 0.094%. Robbery with a firearm. 125,000, 0.039%. Homicides. This is what stems this entire debate is homicides. Homicides in 2016, 15,000. 0.0046%. Homicides with all firearms. With homicides, it's interesting. Because it's the only one that actually breaks it down by the specific type of firearm used, or the specific category of a firearm used. Rifle, shotgun, uh, handgun. All firearms. 11,000. 0.0034%. Let's break that number down. With handguns, 7,000. 0.0021%. With rifles, with the very thing that we are debating the most about in 2016, there were 374. 0.00012% of Americans. With a shotgun, 262. 0.00008%. And then they have another with an unknown firearm. I talked to a buddy of mine about this. He spent years, he spent eight years as federal law enforcement. And I asked him, what does it mean? What does unknown firearm mean? He basically said, if it's a cartridge that's used in both a rifle and a shotgun, or I'm sorry, a rifle and a handgun. It's common to both, and we don't have a, a weapon. We put it as unknown. If it is an obvious, for instance, it was obviously shot through from a shotgun, but it is a fabricated round, like a shotgun shell filled with nickels. You have to list it as other firearm because it's not anything that you can categorize as a, specifically as a shotgun because... As law enforcement, you are not a ballistics expert, even though you can use common sense and piece that together. Unknown firearm. Uh, and then there are uh, other things like nail gun, anything like that. Anything that shoots a projectile that's not a firearm is also listed as other firearm. And I asked him, I said, okay, so if you don't have a murder weapon and you find a two two three caliber uh, projectile, in in a victim how do you categorize but no murder weapon how do you categorize that and he says policy is you categorize that as a rifle 
because there is no handgun or shotgun or any other type of platform of weapon that fires that cartridge. So, that clears that up. Other unknown firearm, there are 3,263 of those. 0.00101%. Those are all of your homicides. So now let's go to rape. There were 119,000 rapes, 0.037%. There's no data on the Uniform Crime Report at the FBI that uh, specifies if there was a weapon used or what type. So I don't have that information. So let's add all of those numbers I just gave up together. All violent crimes that were committed in 2016, they were just shy of 1.2 million, 0.361%. All violent crimes committed with a firearm of any type, 367,837, 0.113%. So what we are doing, what we are discussing here, is public policy is uh, regarding the Second Amendment specifically stemmed because 0.00012% of Americans are killed by that particular weapon. That's what it stemmed from. And at worst case, and you know as well as I do that of all of these 1.2 million violent crimes, 368,000 that were committed with a firearm, you know that wasn't 368, or I'm sorry, 1.2 million individuals committing individual acts. There are many repeat offenders who were never caught. So we're talking about a very super small percentage of the American population that acts out. If you were to say, one person committed two of these, which I, I'd be willing to bet that one person on average of those violent crimes, I would be willing to bet that one person commits way more than that. It's speculation, I admit, but uh, we know for a fact that it's not one person committing just one every single time. I'm sure there's an average out there somewhere. I just didn't find it. If you were to cut that in half, the amount, basically one person commits two of these crimes every year. You're talking about 0.055% uh, of bad Americans that you want to stop from doing what they're already doing regardless of the laws that are currently in place. These, these numbers, when you look at them from a purely logical and, and statistical standpoint, it's not even a margin of error in most statistics. Hell, whenever we do presidential polls, our margin of error is typically 5%. This is, we're talking hundredths of a percent here. Sometimes thousands and ten thousandths of one percent that are, are directly affected by this. And I know you're going to tell me that, that I am a heartless bastard who doesn't care about the children or the, any, anybody that's affected by gun violence. That is not true. 
I care deeply about it. I just recognize that it's not a significant issue. And it's certainly not an issue where we should be stripping people or further infringing upon their rights to do so, to defend themselves. You know, people ask, why do people need an assault weapon? Oh, I don't know. You ever hear of the riots in Ferguson, Missouri or, or Baltimore, Maryland? Remember when rioters were burning down businesses? When rioters were destroying their city? Imagine you being a business owner and you find yourself in the middle of that and you see a mob an angry mob heading straight for your livelihood. Would you rather have a New, a, a New York compliant Glock 19 that has a magazine capacity of eight? Or would you rather have a Select Fire M4 that you can properly defend your, your place of business with? I wish, I really wish that gun control advocates would at least, at minimum, recognize that people can do good with these weapons just like people can do bad with them. It is a tool that does nothing more than what the operator instructs it to do. In the L.A. riots, there were people in the, in the early 90s, in the, during the L.A. riots, there were people who defended their property with actual fully automatic weapons and did so effectively that saved their livelihood. And I could go and, and pander to my base about we need to be able to pre pre uh, make sure that we can defend ourselves a tyrannical government. And yeah, that's absolutely right, but that's not what you want to hear. You want to hear why people need a, an assault weapon, quote-unquote. You, you need to hear why people should be allowed to easily purchase a firearm. You need to hear why people like me specifically are against things like background checks at all. Because they don't do anything. Background checks don't do anything. Access to firearms. You could take it all away and it wouldn't do anything. Because evil finds a way regardless. Evil finds a way in, in England. They have, they don't, it's illegal to own a firearm. Evil finds a way. In Paris, evil finds a way. In Australia, evil finds a way. Doesn't happen, have to be with a firearm. And then, typically, the response to that is, well, if we can save one life, then it's worth it. And I'm sorry to say that it's not. If your argument is rooted in we need to save just one life, and believe me, as somebody who is pro-life, life is precious. All life is precious to me. But to take away our rights or further infringe on our rights or restrict our rights to save one life, then I ask you, why don't you advocate against general anesthesia because general anesthesia takes 130 people's lives away every year. If you want to save one life, right? Well, there's a benefit to general anesthesia. Yeah, there is. But you don't have to be put under to go through surgery. You want to save one life. How about the lives that the... The, the countless lives that will be saved by good people that will never 
get recognition from the media because they had their firearm on them? What about the lives that could be saved by a private citizen with a fully automatic M249 machine gun? Could happen. If it could just save one life. What about the life of 17 school children? Because teachers were allowed to carry if they wanted to. What about if it could just save one life? What if repealing all gun control laws, all of them, could just save one life? If you want to respond to me, I welcome it. I really, really hope at minimum I got your wheels turning on this. I, I don't expect to change people's minds here. But I do hope I at least got you to think a little bit. To maybe motivate you into delving into this topic a little bit deeper than just what's on the surface. Everybody is welcome at Lone Star Gun Rights. We have anti-gun people commenting all the time, and I'm just going to tell you now, we won't attack you, but I can't speak for everybody else. And when I say attack, I mean via social media. Nobody is going to attack you personally, physically. Nobody's going to threaten you. Uh, and here's what I will say to our current and future Lone Star Gunners. Keep in mind, as passionate as we all are about our Second Amendment rights, we need to be able to have a conversation about this. You know, I again, I don't expect to change anybody's minds right now, but I do hope to at least have a conversation. I would, I would like to make people think I would like to dissect their their arguments down to the very root, all the way down, and see if maybe they can recognize a flaw in it. And who knows? I, you know, I, I've been doing this a long time. I've been speaking about my passion for the Second Amendment and our, our God-given rights uh, for a long time now. And I'm pretty set on this. It's not that I'm closed-minded. It's that I've done this very thing with my own beliefs. And all it does is add resolve to me. Because the logic holds up the deeper I go. If, we, if you see a gun control advocate on our page, don't call them a leftist libtard communist, you know, snowflake. That's not productive. We need to talk. We need to have these types of discussions. And you know what? This is an open invitation to any gun control advocate out there. If you're just a lonely gun control advocate or you're somebody that 
is an active participant in mom demands, Moms Demand Action or whatever, if you want to come on the show and have this discussion, I welcome it. Reach out to me, email me, Twitter, uh, message us on Facebook. I would love to have you on. And I swear, all it will be is a discussion. I don't, I have, I take no glory in attacking people for their opinions. I would love to change people's minds. Sometimes you can't. I recognize that. And that's fine. People are more than entitled to their opinions, even if I firmly believe that they are completely backwards to our founding principles. It's still okay. That's the beautiful part about liberty and freedom of thought is that you can have whatever opinion you want. And if you're a Lone Star Gunner and you're on our page and you see a gun control advocate, even if they're popping off and being belligerent, try having a conversation with them. Try just talking. Instead of getting all riled up and hooting and hollering, that's not going to change anything. If we want to really change things, we need to start discussing things and changing people's minds. Anyway, guys, I think I've said my piece. Please share this with everybody that you know. And if, if I did change your mind, great. And if I got the wheels turning, that was my goal. Just to think. I will talk to you all next Sunday, Lone Star Gunners. Until then, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo. Thank you.